welcome to SLP Full Disclosure, the podcast for SLPs by SLPs, where we deep dive into a variety of topics to empower, educate, and entertain. Join us each episode to hear from expert guests and topics that matter most. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and let's jump into this episode. Hello, and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I'm one of your hosts, Jennifer Martin, and joining me is my co-host, Alyssa Hunter. Hello. So today, I know I say this every time, but I really am very, very excited for this guest. Um, She is just wonderful, and I can't say enough about her. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, her background, and then we will get started. So our guest today is Heather Kubert, and she went to the University of California, San Diego, for undergrad, and she received a Bachelor of Arts in Linguistics and a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering. After working in the tech world for a couple of years, she followed her passion and then received a Master's of Science in Speech-Language Pathology from MGH Institute of Health Professions. During her speech pathology career thus far, she's worked in many different settings, including outpatient clinics, healthcare, education, and now she works in teletherapy. And she bumped into this about 10 years ago and realized that this was her preferred modality. So currently, she's working in a school position supervising SLPAs and also supervises a handful of clinical fellows. In her free time, she also owns a boutique private practice called Evolve Speech Therapy, and she focuses on transgender vocal training and accent modification. And when she is not working, she is hiking with her dogs or baking something deliciously unhealthy and... I'm very disappointed that you did not bring something deliciously unhealthy. So welcome, Heather. Hello. Thanks for having me here. Yes, I am so excited. So we actually have an interesting backstory in that I have, we have a mutual friend and probably two years ago, she and Tracy Nolan, if you're listening. Hi, Tracy. (laughs) Hi, Tracy. uh, She said about two years ago, you have to meet this other speech pathologist. You would love her. And... Then, you know, time went by, never met you. And then in a very roundabout way, I did meet you and realized that you were the one that she had been talking about. So I'm so glad that the stars aligned and we were able to meet because she was right. I adore you. So it was destiny. Yes. Kismet, something like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I'm happy you're here today because all Jennifer does is talk about you and tell me, <laughs> she's like, it is just amazing. She has both sides of the brain. She's an engineer. And she's a speech-language pathologist. Can you imagine having both sides of the brain? And I'm like, I need to meet this woman. <laughs> so welcome. We're so excited to learn more about you. Thanks. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and get started. We have so many things to talk about. You're very interesting. There's, I feel like we could go down many roads with you, but let's just start from the beginning. So as we learned from the bio, speech pathology was not the original plan. So tell me or us, what was the original plan? What was when you were first in school? So I'm going to correct that question because there was not a plan. Um, I am incredibly indecisive and stubborn. And so when everybody else was figuring out they're going to go to college and, you know, they knew when they were four, they were going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a veterinarian, or whatever, I was like, wait, we're graduating. We have to make adult choices. Oh, no. Um, So I chose a school. I was pretty excited about that. And didn't choose a major until my second or third year because that's when you had to. And um, people just kept telling me that I, I grew up in the Silicon Valley, so there were lots of engineers around. 
And I just felt like, well, math isn't horrible. Science is kind of interesting. Maybe I'll just go for this engineering thing. Um, and so I, again, the stubbornness kicked in and I just kept doing it, even though it was incredibly difficult and I wasn't really enjoying myself. <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to finish the degree and then we'll see where it takes me. So did you not think that you, or did you think that you would go into an engineering job? Definitely. I mean, I was doing internships throughout undergrad. I picked up the linguistics degree, mostly for my sanity, doing engineering forever and ever and ever was just a little intense. And I thought I was going to do something like speech recognition or voice recognition or something kind of combining the two. Um, Did a couple internships in that and realized that I still didn't have a chance to talk quite enough and communicate with humans quite enough in those kinds of um, jobs. So, yeah. So what was your first engineering job? (laughs) Um, Well, my first internship, um, I worked actually on campus for this group called EarthCam. It was actually really cool. Uh, They took pictures of the Earth from um, space shuttles while they were in orbit, and then they transferred while I was there to taking pictures from the International Space Station. And there's still the project still exists. So there's this camera on the International Space Station that children are taking pictures with every day, like while we're talking right now. Wow, <laughs> that's incredible. I feel like you could even use that in a speech therapy session. You totally could. Yes, definitely. Say, so look, kids, look what I helped with. <laughs> Following some basic instructions, yeah. right? Yeah. Kids love space. <laughs> totally. Like your SLP cred goes up big time when you can tell the students look what I used to do. Right. <laughs> I was cool once. <laughs> no, still. So at what point, you know, at that, you know, you start, you get your degree, you're kind of like, eh, but doing it, kind of working on a cool project. At what point did you decide to study speech pathology and, you know, what initially drew you to that field? So after graduation, I um, moved out to Boston and got a job in this lab. It was a vestibular lab at this at the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary. And um, the, the man who was leading that lab understood that I was this lost soul. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And he let me, he connected with all of um, the other people who were running labs in that hospital. And he just let me tour around with all of them. I got to meet people doing really, really cool stuff. But my absolute favorite was this guy who was a speech-language pathologist who was a researcher who was doing really cool research, and he was like, here, here's the book on speech-language pathology. You should check it out. And I read it, and I was like, this is actually going to marry my two interests really well. I'm going for it. Okay, what was this book? (laughs) (laughs) It was, you know, it was... (laughs) I might need it. (laughs) It was just like the 101, you know, speech intro book that, that, yeah, he was a professor at the school I ended up going to, and and so he gave that to me. I didn't save it. I'm not a hoarder, so I didn't save it. Wow, that's amazing. Usually people say, well, I didn't really like my first general speech classes. It wasn't until grad school (laughs) things got really interesting, so... Loving a 101 book. Man, that is passion know. from the start. It was just, it was meant to be. So did you then immediately apply to speech therapy grad school? Um, almost, yeah. So I ended up, I took a couple courses. Um, so I was right next to where that school was. I ended up going. I took a couple courses while I was applying. Um, and then they had a nice summer program for people who weren't speech undergrads. So I was able to knock that out really quickly. And then... It was the two-year program. Yeah. And, I mean, there, 
probably maybe some similarities, but a lot of differences. So what would you say were the biggest differences between the schooling for that first degree and your degree in speech pathology besides the probably increased maturity level? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 Let's Um, go with that. (laughs) So I always described my undergrad. I remember I would walk out of some lectures and be like, yeah, I didn't follow any of that. And it was just incredibly difficult for me. I think it was it was not a natural fit for me, and I just fought hard so I could get through those courses. Grad school for me was so much more fun because I understood what the professors were talking about. Um, and I didn't find anything to be necessarily really, really impossible. I described grad school as like death by a thousand paper cuts. There was just so much information being thrown at us, but all of it by itself was like understandable. And so I just had a lot of confidence going in because I was like, you guys are complaining about this. Let me tell you about my undergrad. (laughs) So it sounds like the baseline, I mean, you had already gone through something that you didn't love and Mm -hmm. was really difficult. So this probably felt like where, like you said, everybody else is stressing and you're thinking like, this is a cakewalk. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure my classmates didn't appreciate my attitude on that. (laughs) Um, But it definitely felt like I was where I needed to be. It was a much better fit. So would I, and again, I know they're very different, but did anything from that original field of study help you prepare better for the second? I mean, I guess maybe you, like you said, the, the workload was so much more, so it probably felt like much more manageable. But was there anything you were able to carry over, any skills that from one to the other? I mean, you know, the, I learned how to be a student in undergrad for sure, and that definitely helped grad school, but that's everybody's story. But I think, you know, the math and sciences that you have to learn in, in engineering, I always call engineering a disease of the mind. Once you, once you study and you think about life that way, you can't see things in a different way. It drives my husband nutty. Um, and so in doing that, when I got, got to grad school and there was work to be done, it was very much like, okay, this is a systematic approach. This is how to handle it. Um, I opted to do a thesis rather than do the comprehensive exams because I was like, that's math and science. I understand that. I can do a little bit of calculus, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I know all about that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, calculus and all that. <laughs> I'm smiling and nodding. Yes. Um, so, I mean, do you ever regret the decision or wonder, you know, how would my life be different? Like, do you ever wonder what you would be doing right now if you had not switched? That's a great question. I have a lot of friends who are still in the field, and I've watched them do some really cool and amazing stuff. Um, but I, I personally have no regrets because I just was not contented sitting in front of a computer all day, um, not talking to people. It's ironic because today I spend my day sitting in front of a computer all day, but I'm interacting with people most of the time, and so that's so much better. And I feel like I'm, I kind of must have like. ADD or professional ADD, but the instant gratification that you get with doing therapy just is so much better than anything that I could have gotten in the engineering world. For sure. And I mean, that makes me wish that I had started with an engineering degree <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, oh, that would have been so much better. I could have, I, I mean, just sounds like it worked out. And, you know, you went through yeah. one one door and led you to another, but it was really beneficial. Yeah, you know, my life mantra now, as you know, is be like water. 
And I didn't have that mantra back then. I really wish I did because I would have understood that I was more of a square peg in a round hole than I wanted to be, and I probably could have found my path faster. Um, but the stubbornness got me where I needed to go, so it all worked out. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds like, you know, with you doing teletherapy now, that is integrating a lot of technology and problem solving, as all three of us know at this table, (laughs) doing teletherapy. You never know what's going to happen in a session and what kind of tech difficulties you'll run into. And so do you feel like having those experiences of problem solving and working through challenges has applied also to your um SLP career? Totally. Totally. I mean, I think engineering, right, is there's a situation we need to find a solution. Isn't that what we do in speech language pathology, right? Something isn't working right or as they want it to be working. So let's try and help them solve that problem. And then also from the day-to-day technical aspects of it. I mean, you know, a decade ago when I was starting with teletherapy, you know, the youngins listening to this may not remember, but 10 years ago, technology was in a very different space. And I would have to walk people through, okay, like, here's how this software works. Let's download it together. Let me show you all the coolness I can do, right? Whereas now we just set up and we go and everybody intuitively knows how to use it. That was not happening, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And you have, uh, you know, just like I said in the bio, you've done some really cool, diverse things within your career as an SLP. Tell us a little bit about just your professional journey, you you know, starting out in, you know, what setting did you start out in? And then, you know, just tell us a little bit about what you've done professionally since then. (laughs) Whenever I, I chat with people about this, I always play this like fun little game of like, try and guess a setting that I haven't worked in. And nobody's been able to find one yet. (laughs) Um, So my journey has been through a lot of different things. I started out, my CF was in a pediatric hospital. Um, Hey, Boston Children's, woohoo. And then from there, I've done it all. I've done SNFs and and home care, you know, NICU work. Um, I think you say, what, birth birth to earth. Yes. I feel like (laughs) I'm going to steal that for today. It's one of my tattoos. (laughs) Credited to Jennifer Martin. I've done birth to, I can't even say it, birth to earth. Birth to earth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, doing hospice and and all of that as well. Um, And um, yeah, it's been quite the whirlwind. I look back at my resume and I think, oh my goodness. Um, But I feel like every situation there was a need to make a change or a reason to make a change or a really cool opportunity that I just couldn't say no to. Okay. I want to play this game. Guess which one you haven't worked (laughs) in. So I I have, I have one. I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay. A prison. (gasps) You're right. I have not done therapy in a prison. Have you? No. (laughs) No, I've worked at some places that felt like a prison. <laughs> right, right. I've done some telly with but, some schools that were on high security, yes. for sure, um, but never a prison. No. no, and I only asked this because I was at a career fair recently, and there was a, a prison system that was hiring therapists, <gasps> and so I thought, well, that's a new one. There so, you go. That there might have go. to go on my resume for next year. <laughs> yeah, you won that game way too easy. <laughs> Life goals. <You> gotta... <laughs> prison, here I come. <laughs> uh, so... You know, I want to know also a little bit more. I think your your private practice is mm-hmm. really cool, and you're doing some very, I, I feel like some very neat things that 
not a lot of SLPs do. So tell us a little bit about your you know, evolved speech therapy and, and what you do. So um, it's an online private practice that I've been doing, um, again, very small, very boutique is the word I like to use, um, for the past couple of years. Um, and yeah, the focus has been kind of those areas of therapy that we don't really, you see that often, you know, more habilitative rather than rehabilitative is kind of my take on it. Um, and I feel like transgender vocal training is an area that we're starting to get, you hear a lot more buzz about. And um, I'm glad to hear that it's finally becoming a more mainstream topic because it is an area of huge need. Um, and it's it's an area that I just, I think is wonderful and it's super fun to do as a therapist. Um, and accent modification for the same thing. It's all pretty happy and, and positive and you're trying to help people move their lives forward, um, which is, you know, as you know, in this field, if you're not careful, it's pretty easy to get burnt out doing just helping people through their strifes and struggles all of the time. Um, so doing something like that is kind of just my fun, like, side hustle. <laughs> Keep things nice and, and positive. Well, and I imagine, too, with this, with both of those populations, they're very motivated because, yes. you know, if oftentimes, you know, working with you know, the preschooler, it's like, <laughs> I don't care if I am saying this correctly or if I know, know enough vocabulary. But here you have you know, two very specific populations where they're probably highly motivated to do whatever they need to, to make those changes. Yes. A lot less behavior modification is required <laughs> yes, in my yes. private practice than in my day job. Yeah. I'm not going to say none, <laughs> but a lot less. <laughs> yeah. And do you feel like, because I remember, I mean, when I was in grad school back, you know, in the dark ages, I, that was I, my voice professor, they were doing a research project on working a transgender voice. And that was like, groundbreaking. Right. You know, so, you know, what percentage of your caseload would you say is that versus the accent modification? It's actually about 50-50. And I think that, again, just transgender vocal training is just such a growing field of awareness of therapists. So if anybody's listening to this and they're interested, I'd say research it, get into it. There's some really great educational opportunities that are out there so you can understand how to work with this population and really help them out. But it's wonderful. Do it. Well, and I think too, I mean, do you notice as well that are you working with clients that are younger and younger? Because now that there is this awareness and people feel like, you know, it's more safe and comfortable to be able to, you know, be who they want to be. Do you feel that that's, it's becoming more open and acceptable and you're getting, you know, clients that are younger perhaps now than they, that would have been, you know, 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. I think I agree in general, you know, people talk about 10 years ago, the normal clients were kind of like people who were 50 and up who had kind of lived their life and said, okay, now I know I, this is actually who I want to be. And they could feel like they could come out and be that person. Whereas now, you know, there are a lot of kiddos who are very aware and understand their gender and how that works and they're able to put it into words and their family and community are able to support them. Um, and that's a wonderful thing to be able to see that, you know, I haven't been doing it long enough to say I have experienced that, but the stories that these, you know, people who've been in the field much longer have told me, you know, it, it definitely has changed for the better. I think there is still a lot of room for growth in 
our society's awareness of it and acceptance of it. Um, so I hope that in 10 years, you know, we'll come back and we'll have another chat and then we'll say, wow, look at how things have grown and improved so much. Yeah, we'll be like, I can't believe, remember when we used to think that? I know, so embarrassing. <laughs> and as far as your the accent modification, what would you say, what's the primary population? Is it people that are, you know, from another country that are working in an industry that they need to improve that? I mean, who who... What does that population look like for you? The population I'm working with, um, surprise, surprise, is usually a, a bunch of like engineers and scientists and stuff. Um, oftentimes, I'd say most of them come from English as a second language. There's still There are a few that come in that have some colloquialisms they're trying to get rid of or, you know, be able to control. Um, but most of them definitely are people who are coming in and they've just hit a plateau in their career or they feel like, oh, I need to start making presentations. And I don't feel confident that people are really understanding everything that I'm saying. That's so interesting. So how did you pick these two niche populations to focus your private practice on? What a great question. Um, so it wasn't a choice because, <laughs> as we know, I can't make choices. Um, so, yeah, I, I had an experience working with another speech therapist who had been doing accent modification, and um, this was many, many years ago, and I just thought it was so great because it was not, again, that rehab model, right? It was working with somebody who's really fine, and we're just trying to make their day better and make their life better. And I was experiencing probably a little bit of the beginnings of burnout, and I was like, oh, this is wonderful because they're not broken to begin with. Like, oh, I can, I can do this. This is lovely. Um, and so it's an area that I've always kind of just kept going with. And for the transgender vocal training, um, just over the last couple of years, just as I've seen kind of how their community has been treated, I just feel like they could probably use an advocate and I'm willing to be one. And, um, you know, I am not, a, I'm not trans. I'm not part of that community, um, but I am happy to, you know, help them out wherever I can and try to be an ally if they'll let me. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I love that. I feel that way with myself with the bilingual community. And mm. it's so important that we're not only SLPs, but advocates as well. And I love that you use that word. Good. Yeah. And I think also, like, as we're continuing in the field, it's important to, like, make sure you're following those things that you're passionate about and that are driving you. You know, I've been in the field now well over a decade, and I've watched many colleagues bail for different reasons, but the fundamental thing seems just to be they they got burnt out. And it, I think it's really easy to get trapped into that cycle. You know, we, we're helpers. You know, Jed and I have talked about this a lot. We're helpers. We're a helping profession. It's hard for us to say no. You know, we empathize with our patients, clients, whatever you, whatever you want to call them, students. And so the chance to find something that really can motivate you and keep it fresh and exciting is the key, I think, to maintaining in this career and continuing to be a helper. Absolutely. One of the things that I think is so interesting that, you know, I've been thinking about as you've been talking is, and I've had this thought many times with working with students in school, for example, if they have, you know, I was working with a student recently who couldn't say an R. And I kept thinking like, if, you know, and he did not live on the East Coast, but I kept thinking, if only you lived <laughs> And the East Coast, and I mean, seriously, it would not have been an issue. So there's, oh, I kind of have struggled with this throughout this career where sometimes I think, you know, we're making you come to 
you know, fix something that we deem is not, you know, correct. Mm -hmm. And so, and I know there's circumstances, I know all the reasons why we do it and, you know, what the benefits come from it. And, you know, and I know sometimes, you know, they want to be there, sometimes they don't. But I'm thinking about these two groups that you're working with. It's like, you know, you hear you have with the pediatrics, sometimes like we're making you come, you're going to fix this because we are telling, we think that it's not correct versus where these groups are people that are like, no, I, I want to make this conscious choice to do this for these reasons. Right. And what would you say are the reasons that they most commonly give? Like, why do they want to come and, and work on this? Well, I mean, for the, the transgender vocal training clients, um, there's many different reasons. I mean, a lot of them feel just like you can have vocal dysphoria where they feel that their voice doesn't capture who they are as a person. Um, and then there's other people who just worry from a safety standpoint, you know, that they present physically one way and then they start talking and and then that gets them into trouble and they have concerns about that. Um, but I think it's often just in the, in the, in the community, right? They're, they're trying to find ways to figure out exactly how they can show who they are. And really that process is fascinating to me because I find the voice often is the last thing that people will come and work with. And yet I think it's one of the most powerful things. Um, and people don't realize that until all of a sudden they can produce a voice, you know, and we get these tears of joy of just like, that's it. That's, that's me. I mean, how powerful is that, I have right? the chills. I've done um, vocal training, and I did my last clinical rotation in the VA. They had a wonderful program for transgender clients who were veterans, and it was incredible. I mean, just helping. I have always thought that about our profession, that, you know, whether we are just working on an R or we're working on something that is as identity-focused as this, we're helping people communicate and identify themselves in a way that they want to be seen mm -hmm. and heard. And so I think that that is like almost the most literal example of someone being able to find their identity through our services. Right. Yeah. And you've done a lot, so this might be hard to pinpoint, but I'm just curious, what has been your career highlight thus far? That is such a hard question. Um, not because I'm, I mean, I am totally amazing, but that's not why that, <laughs> <laughs> that question's so hard. But I mean, I'm a big believer as I've, you know, been like water through my career and stuff. I look back on it and all of it culminated together. I'm really proud of where I am. You know, I think about when I first started this career and how I didn't have a lot of confidence as a therapist. I didn't believe that I actually had the skill set that I could help people. And here I am now, I, I have enough confidence that I have a private practice. What is that, right? And you're on a podcast. And I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Yeah. If you can retire now. It's like, what's, what's left to do? I have reached the pinnacle. Yes. <laughs> There's nothing left to do. I am done. Mic the drop. Wait, no, the prison. Then oh, okay. retire. Right. Next okay. month I'll do the prison yes. and then I'll come yeah. back and drop the mic. Yeah. And, then, and then done. Okay. <laughs> But I mean, I really do believe, I tell my CFs that I'm supervising that confidence, you know, is bred from experience. And I think you can fake it for a while when you first start, right? 
And then after, eventually, at some point, I don't know when I hit this point, but it's like, okay, something new? Cool. Okay, how do I learn about it? Tell me what I need to do. Okay, now I'm going to apply from my bag of tool, my toolbox here. I'm going to pull out some stuff and see if it works. And if it doesn't, we're going to try something different, and I don't stress about it. New grad Heather was not like that. You know, I was much more like, I have to do it right. I need to make sure that I'm maximizing the efficiency, blah, 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 blah. I don't know where that change happened, but I love where I am now compared to where I used to be, for sure. I, it's such a freedom, I agree, where you just know, okay, I, I can, you know, I've got enough knowledge that I truly can apply it to any area and make right. it work. And yeah. it's, it, I, I, there is definitely, I, and I hear this a lot, is, you know, SLPs feeling like this imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And then this one day it does, it just kind of clicks. So, yeah. I, you know, I, that resonates very much so. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So you, so there's all the things you've done. What's next? I know we've already <laughs> talked about the prison, but, but other than that. <laughs> it was up to you, not Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing this book. <laughs> so, but, but other than that, um, is there something that you feel like, you, you know, I've always wanted to learn about blank, or I think that would be a really cool area to know more about. Well, I feel like having done teletherapy now um, for enough years, I understand how annoying it is to have a million licenses and to carry those and deal with all the CEU stuff. Um, And I know that there's talk of an interstate compact, you know, that ASHA is trying to work on. You hear that, ASHA? I know, no pressure, ASHA, ASHA? um, but we need that before I work in the prison. Um, (laughs) You know, I think trying to move the technological aspects of our profession forward really resonate with my experiences and my interests. And I just feel like I would love to be helpful in trying to get it so teletherapy is something that is covered by all insurances, every single one of them, um, and is a modality that we can use even for the adult population. I know it's crazy, right, that insurance might cover the adults as well, Um so I would love to get involved helping that process through for sure. You got to go to the hill. You would be. I'll have to wear a suit, uh, talk to politicians. I know. You'd be fire. You would just go in there and they'd be like, engineer and SLP, <laughs> we must listen to her. She knows. <laughs> but honestly, like everything you're saying are these, you know, the day in and day out of my job. These are just like have taken years off my life. Some of the things you mentioned. So I love, I, I will vote for you. I will sign. We will <laughs> you get have you the pants <laughs> You have my vote because I think, honestly, that is, you know, I was just talking to somebody about this, that that's where I feel like, you know, within this field, there's certain things that have stalled mm-hmm. and that really need to be nudged forward. And I'm not sure who's going to do the nudging but now I do. It's you. <laughs> so are, is that you saying you're going to be my campaign manager? I am, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> taking an unexpected <laughs> twist. <laughs> we're, we're going on the road. We are. But and, uh, I think that, you know, just listening to you guys talk, what this is really speaking to, and we've talked about it in other podcasts, is there are so many directions that you can go in our fields. Like you can be in all of these settings. You can also be working on the politics of it all. You can also be working 
in prisons. You could be, <laughs> there's just so many different ways that you can contribute to the field. And it's mm-hmm. not just, you know, working in a SNF or working in a school or these more basic ideas that we have when we come out of grad school. There's really limitless pop- possibilities that only grow as you stick with the field. Totally. And I feel like we're so lucky in that our field is one of the few that you don't necessarily need experience in a certain type of setting or population to go do that job. I mean, the experience... That's a really of, good point. Yeah, in know, business, they're not going to be like, we're going to make you the head manager <laughs> right. of this department that you know nothing about. But with right. us, you could walk in somewhere and you might be the only expert in the room. Exactly, exactly. And people will you know, look to us. For that, And I'm not saying that you should go just say things that aren't true and aren't based on anything, but it is amazing the freedom of choices that we can have, you know, and I tell my CFs that as well, like getting a CF sometimes can be a little tricky, but once you get those three little C's right after your name, the world just opens up and you can, you can go in whatever direction you want to, you know, you might have to go a little creatively, but you'll get there. Creative is the best way. For sure. <laughs> So I'm sure there was a part of you when you were looking back at, you know, changing, going from one degree and then completely like, I will go this direction and go back to school and, you know, completely change what I thought I was going to do. So I know that people get, it's probably a lot of the reason that people don't oftentimes is just fear. They're afraid of, of stepping out of that, that comfort zone or the change. What advice would you give to someone who's thinking of making a career change within this field or just completely changing to a completely different field like you did? Um, Sorry, Nike, but just do it. I mean, I think it's, especially within our field, if you're not feeling contentment and happiness and excited to get up and go to work, there are other options and we don't need to sit and suffer through something. And I find if you're not happy in your job, you're probably not doing the best therapy that you can for your patients, clients, students. So go find something else. And and it might be scary. It definitely was a little scary when I was, I remember when I started graduate school, I told one of my professors, like, I'm afraid of children. I'm not really sure how this is going to go, but I'm going to try it anyway. And I, I didn't, you know, I didn't inadvertently hurt or maim any children. It was fine, (laughs) you know, and now I can look back on that and say, okay, like it was fine. I made it work. And that's, you know, if you're interested in something, go do it, find a way to do it, go chase it. Well, and I love that advice. And I, you know, talk to people a lot that say, well, yeah, but it's, you know, it's going to take four more years to do that. I'm like, yeah, but in either way, four years is going to go by, right? You can either continue with, you know, what you're doing. That's not, bringing you, you know, fulfillment for four years or change it. And then you're five, you're doing something different that you really love. So, and this is coming, I'm a very, very practical, pragmatic person. And even I am saying, if you're in speech therapy and you're not happy, go find another job. There's another one out there that's going to be way more fulfilling in some way. And then you're serving everybody in a better way, which is fantastic. Or change the setting. I mean, that's one of the, Mm -hmm. that's what I mean. You know, like you said, this is, there's so many things you can do that sometimes it's just a reboot of Mm -hmm. a setting change that can like, oh, I didn't, you know, like I didn't know I wanted to work with babies, but working with babies was like, wow, this is, you know, open up a whole new area that I would have never thought that I loved. Right, right. Yeah. And when I say go find a new job, I mean, yes, exactly. But as a speech therapist. (laughs) Maybe first step in the field, second step. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry if that was confusing. <laughs> no, no, because but but I mean, there's uh, there's definitely, I think, some people that they do feel burned out and feel like I've got to get out of this field, mm-hmm. and that's kind of their first go to versus right. What else within the field? So you know, that's why I I clarified because I do think you know the f- most logical step is to see what else within the field would would be fulfilling. Right. And I even would challenge myself at times if I was feeling sort of, you know, discontented, I would look for something that was in an area of the field that I hadn't even thought was interesting. Because what I keep finding is I I go into a setting that I think, oh, well, this will probably be kind of boring, but I'm going to do it anyway. And yet I find new challenges and new ways of like getting invigorated from it that I never expected. And then I can take that and go do something, you know, something else with it. And that's been incredibly nourishing to sort of broaden my horizons, even just within this one field. I mean, how magical is that? Well, I think you are just, you know, uh, I I think you're just, I love the way your brain works. (laughs) And uh, I really do. I think it's... She says it all the time. (laughs) I was like, just, oh, if I could just get my hands on that brain. She means figuratively. Is that going to be our literally. marketing strategy for my election campaign? <laughs> I'm watching. I'm. I have so many ideas for our campaign right now. But <laughs> I, oh my gosh, okay. Hubert 2020. I don't know for what position, but we're doing if, it. If you could only get your hands on her brain, but if you saw That's her brain, you'd vote for her in a moment. No questions asked. The neural networks—they're beautiful. So. <laughs> But I, I really do. I just, because I think you are such a practical person, but you've just, you know, and you can make a spreadsheet like no one I've ever seen. And But, but you're also really got these great interpersonal skills. So you really are just like the total package. Um, so with that being said, you know, we often work with new grads and CFs and you've already given us a few little tidbits of wonderful advice that you give them. But what would be just some overall advice that you would give to somebody that's starting out in this field? Oh, man. I think, you know, any setting is going to give you information and education on something about who you are as a therapist, what you really like, what you're really looking for, and to understand that that's going to change, you know, throughout your seasons of life um, and that this career path is going to let you do that. I think is wonderful. I hear a lot of, you know, a lot of speech language pathologists are kind of on the type A side of things. Some are not, but those that are, I know will struggle because they'll, they'll complain about, oh, you know, I tried to get this prestigious clinical fellowship position and there were like 3,000 people who applied and I didn't get it. I'm like, okay, but you can still probably work with a population just like that in a different way. Let's think creatively about how you can still get experience in that. doesn't mean that that option is closed forever. It just means you didn't get that clinical fellowship. But guess what? 2,999 people also didn't get it. So you're in a group of a big group of friends. Um, And just understanding that, you know, going back to patient focus, right? How can we serve our patients? How can you learn? How can you grow? How can you not get burnt out? All of those things are important questions, you know, to start from day one. I talk to my CFs a lot about burnout and they look at me like, what are you talking about? I'm so excited to be in this field. It's all sunshine and rainbows and everything is great. And how can you like ruin my day by talking about burnout? But by the end of their CF, they're like, oh, right. So remember that thing I was working every single weekend and I didn't have a social life? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that was a problem. 
Um, so I talk a lot about that too. And my mantra is just, I tell everybody, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Take your time, learn. Nobody expects you to know everything at the beginning and just keep learning and growing. I think that's great advice. And I think if more people had that advice from the very beginning, it would help because, you know, I think recognizing that this is a helping field and it is very easy once you give and give and give that you, you know, we'd had a, a, a mental health therapist on our last, one of our last episodes. And she, you know, talked a lot about that. Like, you, you know, you can't give what you don't have. Right. And so I think I love that you're starting to put that out there from the very beginning. Yes. Keep spreading the gospel, please. <laughs> don't more people, <laughs> more people need to hear that. And one thing we always finish up with is just because we, uh, Alyssa and I both are very much anti-burnout and want, you know, to also spread the gospel. So what is something that you do to take care of yourself? Oh, goodness. See, that's the thing, right? Those who can't do teach. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I'm excellent at teaching people how how to improve their self-care and stuff. Um, But I think for me, like, even just taking a walk with my dogs is something that can just clear my head a little bit and make me help me switch over from work mode to non-work mode or whatever it is, or baking some cookies. Those are probably my two big ones. Um, but they might seem really, really small, but I think that they're really important for sure. Yeah, and I think that it's important to note that self-care doesn't have to be a huge gesture. It can right. be something small. Mm-hmm. For sure. And anytime you want to have somebody, you know, taste test those cookies, we're here. We're here for you. When I come by to discuss the election campaign, I'll bring you some cookies. Done. When we do our campaigning, that's going to be how we uh, bake sales. That's how, hey, that's how we're going to raise money. There you go. Talk about grassroots. Oh, my goodness. It's done. It's so, I've got some big, big, big dreams for this. So, Heather, it was so wonderful to have you here. I feel like. Just when I thought I couldn't love you anymore, <laughs> you go and do this. <laughs> so um, thank you so, so much. This was so helpful. You're you're very interesting. And I know that somebody out there has taken something from this and is going to be able to, to use it. So thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of SLP Full Disclosure. It was an honor to have you here. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with her clinic, maybe ask, inquire about her services or learn more about her boutique, um, just go to evolvespeech.com and you can find her there. And if you'd like to get in touch with us at the podcast, send us an email at slpfulldisclosure at gowithadvanced.com. And each episode's show notes are available at the website, gowithadvanced.com backslash SLP Full Disclosure. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to get the latest updates. And um, if you want to give us a little shout out, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread the word about us and the campaign. (laughs) And also special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Advanced Travel Therapy. See you next time. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.